0: We're continuing on in our Goodness of the Gospel series. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Don't you love Jesus, church? Isn't he wonderful? I just, I love Jesus. And one of my favorite stories that reminds me of what Jesus would be like if we just encountered him today on the street is told by a pastor who talks about landing in a city and kind of having his time mixed up because of, of uh, the time zone differences. And so in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, he he's, wakes up and he can't go back to sleep, so he heads out to get a bite to eat, and he ends up in this cafe, and it's the only thing that's open. It's this greasy spoon, tiny diner. And so he walks up and, and sits at, at this, you know, dirty little diner on his stool at the counter, and the diner o- owner just kind of this gruff, uh, Bronx man walks up, what do you want? And he says, uh, I'll take a donut. The guy wipes his hand on his grimy apron, sticks it in the, behind the glass and pulls out a donut, puts it down on the bar right there. he's like, wow, thanks. And so he's just sitting there and, you know, having his cup of coffee and his little donut. He's all alone in the diner, when all of a sudden the doors burst open. It's now 3.30 in the morning, and a whole group of prostitutes comes and just sits all around this pastor. So it's a pastor and about 12 prostitutes. And he just says, he's trying to fade into, you know, into a stool and just kind of disappear. And they're just raucous and just talking about all kinds of things. And then one of them says to another one, she goes, you know, it's my birthday tomorrow. And the woman on the other side of the pastor looks at her and goes, who cares? Why would you even tell us? What do you want? You want someone to throw you a party, get you a cake? And the woman just visibly hurt by it, looks down and says, no, I just... My birthday. I just thought you might want to know. I don't expect a party or a cake. No one's ever done that for me. You know, at that moment, the pastor's heart just breaks and he has this God idea. And so he sits and kind of awkwardly waits until they eventually all clear out. And he looks at the diner owner and says, Hey, do these uh, women come in every night? The diner owner looks like, Why do you want to know? He says, "Um, I got an idea. He says, do you know that woman that was sitting to my right? He goes, yeah, her name's Jane. He goes, "Um, what do you say you and I throw Jane her first birthday party? The diner guy goes, that's a great idea. You know, and and he calls back to his wife who's in the kitchen. Hey, Agnes, this guy wants to throw Jane a party. And she's, you know, she's, oh, that's so sweet. No one's ever done anything like that for Jane. And so... He's like, well, I'll show up, I'll get decorations, I'll bring a cake. He's like, no, the cake, it's my, it's my part. That's what I wanna do. So the next day, the pastor shows up at 2.30 in the morning and decks out the whole diner. But what he didn't know was that at three, before Jane shows back up, that the diner owner, his wife had invited every prostitute in town to show up. So all of a sudden there's a hundred prostitutes and the preacher that are, that are in the diner and he's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so then Jane walks through the door and everyone in the whole diner, surprise, happy birthday. Jane's knees buckle and her shoulders start hunching over and she just starts crying. And, and the diner owner comes around, has a cake, they all sing this loud happy birthday to her and she's just, just sobbing. By now, she can't even blow out her cake. He's like, Jane, blow out your cake. He, she can't even do it. He finally blows out the candles for her and hands her a cake. He's like, hey, you need to cut the cake for all your friends. And she goes, um, do you mind if, I've never had a cake before. I, I just live one block down the street. Do, do you mind if I just take this cake home? I, I, I just want to look at it for a little while. So she takes a cake like it's you know, a million bucks and. She just walks out, just staring at it, and everyone just turns and looks at the pastor, and he's like, why don't we just say some prayers? <laughs> all the prostitutes just look at him, and all of a sudden he's he like, dear Lord, he's holding a prayer meeting, dear Lord, we pray for Jane, and God, we just pray that you'd heal her heart, and she'd know how much you love her, and, and we pray that all the things that bad that have happened to her, and the way she's been treated horrible, that you'd come and heal her, and then finally goes, amen. All the prostitutes go, amen. The diner owner looks at her and goes, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. Hey, what, what kind of church do you lead, man? And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher and I lead the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. You know, church, that's the kind of Christian that God's looking for in this generation. That's the kind of church that I believe God's looking for. That would be people who love sinners, who love the lost. That's what I want to talk about today in my Mark chapter 2 sermon. I want to talk to you on the title, Jesus Loves Sinners. Jesus Loves Sinners. And I want to ask you the question, are you a Jesus follower who loves sinners? Mark chapter 2, let's jump in here says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in the spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Okay, that's really cool right there. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk but i want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins look at that again the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins so he said to the man i tell you get up take your mat and go home he got up took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them this amazed everyone and they praised god saying we've never seen anything like this before now i've preached this passage on healing before and the faith of friends before God's heart to heal the sick and that is all true but today I want to highlight on a truth that I think is even more paramount for you to wrap your mind around because you got to understand that back in these days, these ancient days, if someone was disabled, if someone was paralyzed, they couldn't live the fulfilled whole life that they live now. In 2021, with the the different ADA uh, regulations that are so wonderful and the invention, like the wheelchair, I don't know if you know, wasn't invented until the 1500s. Back then, someone that was paralyzed would have been relegated to a life of begging, a life of poverty. But as desperate as that situation would have been for a paralyzed man, so desperate that his friends were like, we gotta lower him down, because if we can just get him in front of Jesus, certainly Jesus can heal him. What is the first thing that Jesus says when the man's lowered? He looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus knew that there was a much greater affliction on earth than the affliction of paralysis, and it's known as the affliction of sin. You see, you might suffer in life through a, a physical ailment. And, and I, I hate if you are. I have definitely had a horrible physical ailment myself. You might be suffering from, from, from poverty, from financial distress, from, from a, a pain in a relationship. But can I tell you that the greatest affliction a person can live in is to be stuck in sin. Why? Because Scripture is very, very clear that sin separates us from God. The Bible says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the Bible has worse news, that the wages of sin is death. If you are living in sin, then you are separated from God. And if you die in sin, you will spend eternity suffering, separated from God in a place called hell forever. And so, when this paralyzed man is lowered down, the first thing Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven. And then people all start squabbling, and he can't do that. Why why is he saying that? Only God can forgive sin, exactly. And so he says, hey, just so you know that I have authority, and get up too, and walk out of here, by the way. Sin is an epidemic. Sin is the, the worst pandemic. The problem is that we don't really believe in sin anymore. Like, morals are becoming Relative, they're constantly changing. Now it's just whatever you feel like, do whatever you feel like. One of the most horrific things I ever went through, and it happened in junior high, so I had this this, uh, beautiful friend, she was in our friendship group, her name was Kelly, and Kelly was this vivacious, she was cute, she loved everyone, Um, she was just one of those people that just had a magnetic personality. And I'll never forget the day that she was brutally murdered. She was stabbed 100 times. And it destroyed, it decimated our school. And I, I'll never forget the day that we were at school and we find out about this and that they just let us out of class and, and everyone just walked around in a daze and in pain and people were weeping. And... But here's my question. Why do we know that murder is wrong? Why do we know that murder is wrong, seriously? Because, you know, in some cultures, like in, in I mean, just go and do your, your, your homework, and you've probably done this, the ancient Aztecs, they took young girls, the same age as Kelly, and they killed her, and they exposed their bodies, and, and there's, um, there was a tower of skulls. Or, or even in the 1980s, Don Richardson landed in Papua New Guinea, and there was this tribe that he was trying to reach that celebrated murder. How do we know that murder's wrong? It's because it's in this book. And the reason it's illegal in this country it was written in this book and we based our laws on the 10 commandments thou shall not murder Do you know some other laws you might not know that in this country and it's still 19 states adultery is illegal it's against the law did you know that Now no one's no one's being charged for that anymore why because morals are evolving morals are changing what's except I mean, just think about, lately, petty theft. People are just walking in stores, they're not even being prosecuted anymore. Um, here, here's another one, uh, drugs, okay? Drugs are being legalized. I was talking to the college group about this on Thursday night. Uh, do you know the reason to not do drugs is not because they're illegal? Why, it's because the, the Bible says that your body is the temple. Their body is the temple of God. Did, do you know? Okay, now just one state up in Oregon. Did you did you know that amounts of heroin, cocaine, and meth are actually legalized? Did you know that, Church? And I tell you that because I can. It's it's gonna come down here if we don't have a revival. Um, in our state, marijuana is now legalized. And some of you say, "Well, it's not because it's, it's not even wrong. It's not." No, you haven't sat with a mom whose kid tried to kill him because the police said that was that was psychosis, marijuana-induced psychosis. You haven't sat with people who have blown up their mind, they've doped out their mind, their impaired vision, or they've killed someone because they're driving under the influence. I wanna tell you, it's not because it's against the law, it's because you're destroying the temple of God. But yet we're legalizing things, we're legalizing things, things that are, are, are against the word of God, and then we're outlawing things that are. Okay, so this is like, Oh my gosh, can I just be real this morning? So my son that goes to public school, he's coming home and telling me the things that he is being taught in school. It it is in every level of society. It's not even just Hollywood anymore that's pushing all this abhorrent behavior. It's in our schools. Parents, please be wise. Please ask your children what they are learning. There are agendas to train our kids in sin now going on in our schools. It's, it's not businesses. Instead of just advertising sinks, they're now having to advertise deviant lifestyles. You're like, come on, just sell your toothpaste. You don't need to defile us with, are you following me? Can we just wake up? And it's every level, right? Our, our, our governor in this, in, this, in this pandemic, right? They said, you can't meet for church. You cannot sing songs to the Lord, but you can go to a strip club. Strip clubs are essential. Marijuana dispensaries are essential. Liquor stores are essential. Some of you are going, he's getting political. I am not getting political, I'm getting biblical. John the Baptist, when, when, Herod, when Herod took his, Herod was in adultery. John the Baptist called him out and it said, and he called him out for many other evil things. And here it is. My message is Jesus loves sinners. I am not trying to get you to hate the teacher who's pushing this, suggest- I'm not get, trying to get you to hate our governor. Instead, I'm calling us to hate the sin and love the sinner. So my question is, are we praying for our governor? Like I'm praying for him constantly. Lord, let, and pray with me. Lord, let Gavin Newsom encounter your love. Lord, let him know you care about him. You created him. God, convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and let him lead the way that you would want him to lead in Jesus' name. You see, we, someone's gotta stand up, guys, and say, this is sin. Because if we don't, people aren't gonna know that they're stuck in their sin, and then they can't repent, and if they can't repent, they can't get saved, they can't get saved, they can't go to heaven. So Jesus brings us this beautiful story Guys, um, do do you believe that there's sin? Like, do you believe that that there's two types of people? Ones that are dying in sin or ones that are alive in Christ? I'm serious, Do, do you believe this? Can I read you what the Bible says? This is what the Bible says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Say dead. Guys, everyone starts dead. You're looking at people, the sweetest person, they're dead in their transgressions or sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You hear me? Follow the ways of this world. Don't follow. Christians, we should not be following the ways of this world. Or the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us, say all. All. You're a sinner. Welcome to church. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If you follow your sin, you deserve wrath. Okay, that is the bad news. So yes, I am calling out sin today. Yes, I'm calling out sinners today, but then I'm saying all of us have sinned, all of sin, and fall short of the glory of God. And then I've got even worse news, the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. And pay for our sin eternally separated from Jesus. But listen to this. Let's keep reading Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised up Christ and seated us up with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. If you don't call out sin, then we don't show how incomparable his grace is. Christians, it's time to call out sin. Don't feel bad about that, because when we call out sin, then we know how good God is for forgiving sinners. We gotta hate sin, we've gotta, we've gotta call out sin, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I, I love talking to people about Jesus. Okay, I, and, and, and not, don't go, oh wow, that's amazing, Robert. I didn't used to, but I prayed for God to give me a passion to talk to people about Jesus because it saves people's souls. And not just save their soul, it changes their life here on earth. It's miserable to try to live, not walking with Jesus. I've tried it. It stinks. And so I love telling people about Jesus and, and I'll often be sharing about Jesus and I'll, I'll, I'll ask people like, okay, if you were to die today, this is a great question for a conversation. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? Now, about half the people will say, no, I'm not sure. But I mean a, another, you know, maybe a third to more people that say, yeah. And I'll say, okay, why? And they'll say this, because I'm a good person. They'll say, I'm a good person. You know, I don't do the, all these bad things like all these people you're seeing on TV. I'll go, oh, really, you're a good person? I'm, I'm nice, I'm sweet, I smile. You're a good person? Have you ever lied before? Well, of course I've lied before. Oh, yeah, and I go, yeah, I know, we've all lied, yeah, yeah. Have you ever cheated before? Like, did you ever cheat on a test? Oh, yeah, I've cheated before. Okay, here's, here's one have you ever like thought a lustful thought about someone? Because here's what Jesus says, like even if you look at the person lustfully, you've committed adultery with them. And they're like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, yeah, of course we all have. I'm like, have you ever like taken the Lord's name in vain? And, and, and like, I know just by accident, they're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, wow, so you're a good person. By your own admission, you're a lying, cheating, adulterer, blasphemer? And you think you're going to heaven? And I'll go like, gotcha. (laughs) No one's good. The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not one. The Bible goes on to say, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to the Lord. Guys, this is actually the good news of the gospel. You can't be good enough. No one can be good enough. But when we were at our worst, Jesus was at our best. He looks at the thief on the cross, this horrible thief, And he just cries out to Jesus, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is a friend of sinners. So let's keep going on the story. Back to Mark 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Okay, uh, don't think of a tax collector as like some sweet accountant sitting in some office. Don't think of a tax collector as an IRS agent that has, a, you know, pocket protector and glasses. No, think of like a mafia man or think of like a pimp who's, who's using other people, who's partnering with a, a bad institution and then just take, think of him as like a, an evil slumlord. That's what a tax collector was. And it says, he sees him at the tax collector booth and now watch what Jesus says to him, follow me. What? Jesus looks at the mafia guy and says, hey, follow me. Jesus told him and Levi got up and followed him. Church, it's time to stop stereotyping people and thinking they're too bad or they're too evil or they're too sinful and it's it's time to start calling people to follow Jesus, let them decide we got to go out and let them decide if they're going to follow. And you're going to be shocked at who starts following Jesus. You are going to be shocked. It says this. So Levi got up and followed him. And then while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, he didn't just say, okay, follow me into my little holy of holy, perfectly sanitized, churchy environment. It says, he goes, while he was having dinner at Levi's house. Guys, it's time for the church to start spreading out into the dark world. I am tired of people running from the darkness. It's time for someone to say, I'm not leaving California, I'm staying here till there's a revival. Okay, it's, the Bible says you're the salt of the earth. Okay, have you ever poured too much salt on your food? Or did you ever have that prank pulled on you where someone pulled the, took the top off the salt shaker and you went to salt your little french fries and a glob poured out and you eat it. Uh, uh. Guys, salt isn't meant to be eaten in chunks. Salt is supposed to be spread out. That's why you're the only believer in your business. That's why you're the only Christian at your table at school, students, that's why. Stop saying, no, I gotta go to where all the Christians are. Have you ever noticed, he says, you're the light of the world. If I turned on my, my little iPhone light right now, you could barely see it, because it's so light. But you go into the pitch, utter darkness, and you turn on the tiniest light. Ooh, that is how we're supposed to be as Christians. Spread that salt out. Spread that light out into the darkness. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus goes into the home of a notorious sinner and he's having dinner with them. And right, all the, all the tax collectors and, and the sinners and he's sitting around him, listen to this. And it says this, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. Okay. Now, I've gotta gotta break this down for a second because this this takes some Holy Spirit sophistication. In my early days as a young man, I just lived in the world. So I, I hung out with people that they influenced me. I was at the parties, I was with the wrong girls. So what happened is I started doing the things to fit in. It looked enticing, so I started jumping into that. So I needed to change who influenced me. So let me say it this way. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You need friends that will lower you down through the roof to take you to Jesus. You need friends that are are saying, we're going to push Robert towards Jesus. We're going to help you. We're going to stand with you. We're going to fight with you. We're going to contend. We're going to pray for you. You need those friends. And you see, if you look, Jesus had that. He had the disciples. He had the ones that were ready to give him everything. So he had that. But guys, it's not about going off and living a commune and making our own butter and, and, and getting away from the world. Let's just move to a state where everything's hunky-dory. No, it's not that. It's then take you and your radical friends and then go to parties at sinners' houses. And, and here's the thing. Here's what's going to happen. The Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, religious people are gonna get offended by you. When God started getting a hold of my heart, I remember I was like, okay, now I only have Christian friends and now I'm like living this cloistered life. It's time to get around lost people. The first thing I had to do was pray that God would break my heart for sinners. Cause I was just judgmental towards them. Why, cause they were doing the things that I used to do. And really a lot of my judgment was cause I wanted to feel good about myself. Look how much holier I am now, right? It's like a a pig in the mud looking at another one saying, you got some dirt on your nose. That's what we're like when we're calling out sin in other people's lives. The pig looked at the other pig, you're dirty. Really, I'm a pig. So I I had to start praying, God, break my heart for the lost. I started actually laying my hands on my heart. Said, Jesus, you cared about the lost. Jesus had said in Luke 15 that all the sinners were gathered around to hear what you have to say. Sinners, don't gather around me. I need you to do something. Will you just put your hand on your heart for a minute? Can you pray this with sincerity, God? Break my heart for the lost. Break my heart for sinners. Break my heart for people that are struggling. Break my heart for people who don't know you. Lord, would you break my heart? And I started praying that every day, church. And I'll never forget the the first day I felt it happen. I walked into Walmart to get some socks. It's just an ordinary day walking into Walmart to get some socks and I stopped and I looked around and where I would have used to judge people, I just started crying as I looked at people. But I just started seeing these people, they need Jesus. Their marriages are erect because they need Jesus. They're on drugs because they need Jesus. That, that, that loose moral woman, it, she, she's just looking for love and she needs Jesus. That guy that's acting so tough, he's just trying to have an identity because he needs Jesus. This person is blowing their minds with drugs. They're just looking for something. They're looking for an experience. They need Jesus. Would you let Jesus break your heart for the lost? But then Jesus started sending me into places. I'll never forget. I met this guy on the street, his name was Thomas, I started talking to him, and, and I mean, we were not alike, he was a total gangbanger, right? And, but, but I, I just, guy gave me a heart for him, and so I started befriending him, and I remember he invited me to his house. And I'll never forget walking up the stairs to his apartment where he and his girlfriend were, crazy music blasting, junk going on on the TV, and I knew when I was walking up, because I saw some people looking at me, I knew they thought, oh, he's going to get some drugs there. But you know what, I was like, you can think what you want about me, because I'm going after that guy, because he's precious to Jesus. And guess what, Thomas and his girlfriend gave their lives to Jesus. <laughs> I-, I remember when the, the house we started at our church in, six houses from state campus. There was this big, it was like the biggest keg party house of athletes. I mean, it was always having keg parties next to, the house next to ours. And I'll never forget this big keg party went over and they had actually come to tell me, they were like, hey, Robert, we're gonna have this party just so you don't call the cops. I was like, oh, it's okay. They were shocked when I showed up. They were like, pastor, you're here? I'm like, of course I'm here. Every single person that lived in that house gave their life to Jesus. And that house changed from being a keg party house to our second life group house. Christians, it is not, and that is not glory to me, that is glory to Jesus, because Jesus loves to go among the sinners. And if he doesn't, then we're in trouble, because we're all sinners and we desperately need him. Jesus loves sinners. You just gotta be ready for the religious people to think that you're, you know, you're to lose your reputation. Because the religious people, they're, they're gonna be, oh, he, you know, he's this, or he's that, or he's just a drunkard. That's If they said it about Jesus, they're gonna say it about you. Let's finish this. This is uh, Mark two eighteen. now, let's finish with this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him, as long as they have him with them. Jesus was showing the religious people, guys, it's not about religious deeds. Don't pray so you can be a better Christian. Right? Don't just do religious things so people see you and think, oh, you're so goody-goody. He would say, no, it's about being with me. And so they're not doing the religious deal because they're with me. And that's what it's all about is you being with me. Do you understand Jesus loves to be with people. And guys, when we're talking to people about Jesus, we're not trying to end their fun. I used to think we were out just ending people's fun. You're going up to people, you know, they're partying, they're having fun. You take a Bible, pop, cut it out. Stop having so much fun. Come sit with me at church. Look like you've been sucking on lemons. Jesus didn't come to ruin people's life. He came to give abundant life. But, and so Jesus is saying they're not fasting because they're with me and that's what this thing is all about. Keep reading. They cannot as long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. On that day, they will fast. Sorry, church. We will fast, we do fast, but why do we fast? To be with him. That's why we fast, not to win some some merit stripe or badge. It's because we love Jesus. And so I fast from the things of the world to feast on him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them on that day they will fast. No one, listen to this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on a garment, on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old garment, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. What's the new wineskin that Jesus is wanting to birth? He's wanting to birth a people who hate sin, but love sinners. I said it last week, the church, we're so good at hating sinners, but secretly loving our sin. No, we need to pray that I would have a holy disgust for sin so we can go in and live amongst the sinners and not be affected by them, but our love and the anointing and power on our life transforms them and makes them go, why are you so different? Why, why, why is there so much peace around you? Why are you so joyful? And you just say, it's Jesus. That's the new wine he's looking for. He's looking for people who go in the midst of the prostitutes and throw a party for a beloved child that Jesus wants to restore and redeem. That's what happened in the Jesus movement in the 1970s, late 60s and 70s. You see, society was just like it is now. There was a crazy sexual revolution going on, right? Their mantra actually was sex, drugs, drugs and rock and roll. There was this crazy gender thing going on. There was horrible racial pain going on. There was a crazy distrust in government. People started chasing after all kinds of Eastern mysticism and, and going into all kinds of drug trips, trying to find some answer. And you know what the Christians did? The Christians actually got more bold and more direct and they would hold up one finger and say, one way Jesus. And do you know what happened when they started boldly preaching about that there was only one way Jesus? Let me show you this picture of a baptism service they had in the Jesus movement. I believe this, have you ever seen a baptism service like this? This is what Jesus is wanting to do again. But it's going to come when we actually call sin a sin and tell people how good God is that he will forgive them, then people can actually know that they need to repent and they need Jesus. Um, one church, actually, and, and then many started, but... But but people were saying, you know, we can't we can't accept people like that. They they look weird. They act too crazy. They were the hippies, right? They 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 had this long hair and they were smelly and they were walking around barefooted. And and, and the leaders of different churches were saying, Don't don't let them in our church. They'll ruin the carpet. You know, I mean bare feet on cement and then walking on carpet. I love one pastor said. No, church is for sinners. Let's tear out the carpet. They said, but they'll, they'll soil our pews. He said, well, then let's tear out the pews. And that church started growing with people being saved. Let me actually show you where they ended up meeting. They met in this. Does that look familiar? Could it, could it be that this is a prophetic sign that Jesus wants to do this again? that in the midst of, of things going crazy in our nation, crazy in California, that Jesus wants to fill tents with people that realize he's their only hope, that all of sin that we're walked away, but that he is the one who loves sinners and he forgives us in the midst of our sin. Amen. Let's stand up.